Hello and welcome to the Third Space Podcast, episode 59, Extra Wordle Communication. I actually used the phrase in the episode this time. It's not as funny as before, but that's okay. Uh, at least I tied the title to the episode. In this episode, uh, Daniel brings to the table some interesting topics on language. Uh, he's been reading Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, uh, which is a book, I gather, a piece of literature. Uh, containing information about words, written in words, and so on. And so uh, there's an idea that Gladwell presents about how people who speak in a different language, uh, Chinese, for example, can remember a greater number of digits than we can when we speak English. And so Daniel and I discuss that idea, related ideas about language and memory. Of course, that leads us into talking about differences in language and culture and speculating on why and how some of these differences might have come to be. Uh, We talk about aliens and how aliens with certain morphology might have a different language. It's all speculation, of course, but I thought it was very interesting. We talk a lot about um, how language develops, some quirks of particular languages and how it might affect behavior nonverbal communication, a.k.a. extra-wordal communication. Uh, And then we talk at the very end a little bit about AI and AI translation and how that might affect all of the different things we talked about. I thought it was a very fun conversation. To me, it felt like we definitely got into third space, so I hope you will come along for the ride. Enjoy. Hello. <laughs> All right. Jinx. You owe me a soda. Ah, you owe me a soda. Ah! Oh, great minds. <laughs> Thinking in a similar fashion. similar fashion. Hey. Oh. <laughs> ah, good times on say. the Third Space Podcast. <laughs> you know, that's funny. Like, starting off with the same words. I've been thinking about words a lot, Bennett. You mean, have you been thinking about words or have you been thinking in words? Oh, that's an interesting way to put it. Like, I think I think we generally conceptualize thought. Like, we have thoughts, and then we and then we put them into words. Like, we have this internal thing that needs to get out, uh, and that's what words do: is they allow the inside abstraction to to like be verbalized and articulated with the words. Words they allow your inwards to become out outwards. Words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Out. Would um, uh. Would a baby on Baby Island think in words? Um, I think eventually they would want to develop a language. I mean, I think you you have two ways to communicate physically and verbally. Uh, and so, is that fair to say? Is there a, another way? Telepathically. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay, you, so uh, I mean, this is what I think is that if we have nonverbal communication, so that can take the form of of well dance let's say um yeah body language facial competition yeah 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 um you know yeah yeah but like it's just and it's all physical right like it's this way of of communicating but words there's some precision with that and i would actually my hypothesis is that uh 
the more educated you are, the more able you are to articulate your the precise inward inward feelings, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the more comfortable you get and the less need you have for the physical expression. And I think you, you look at the uneducated, frustrated, uh, like we'll just take a redneck stereotype who goes to the bars and gets in bar fights. Um, they're, they're probably not, I mean, there, there's probably a few people that just enjoy fights. Like that's a, a thrill, but more often than not, I would say that they live a frustrating life. They feel misunderstood and they just can't quite put it into words for others or perhaps even for themselves. And so the power of education and the power of expanding your language, uh, you feel understood by the world and by yourself and you don't need to express yourself quite as physically. Um, hmm. I mean, I do think physical expression is still powerful through like various like competitions and, and uh, you know, on all the nonverbal, super important too. I don't want to understate that. Do you, think, do you think that even the English language is up to the task of characterizing the inward feelings and the the complex psychology that you know the the redneck at the bar might experience, uh, and all the different yeah. problems that he might have going on that contribute to his frustration. What I'm asking, I uh, guess, is is the difference between let's say that you know your stereotypical redneck goes into the bar and sits down, and he's frustrated, and then your ivory tower academic decides to go into the same bar for whatever reason and he sits down and they both have you know some frustrations and they want to express the frustrations both of them naturally yes. um, that's where their frustration comes from can the redneck guy get to you know because of his lack of supposed lack of education can he only get to 20 percent expression whereas the academic can get to you know 99 percent or is it can the the redneck get to 15% and the academic can get to 20%. Like what's the discrepancy oh, here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying um, to ask. Well, I think you're right in assuming that language falls so sh- short of all of the immense psychology we that, that is contained within ourselves. Like we're infinitely complex and language is finite. Uh, and like, I mean, I guess we're, we're finitely complex if we're being realistic, but I do think words and language are representative of, representative of ideas and so that they don't they can't perfectly be the ideas themselves which is a weird even it's a weird thought it's a weird series of words <laughs> mm. um and i but i do so i think that i'm just gonna if you're asking for me to spitball numbers yeah i think the uneducated redneck is is able to get out 25 30 percent and it, because they can say things like I am unhappy with my wife or they can just say I'm mad at the world or they can ba- their basic linguistic value is there. They, they, and, and then I think the the educated elite professor person is able to communicate maybe 75, 80 percent can really uh, talk about like both structural injustices and that have dispossessed him and. It, whatever, and be really articulate in his critique. How much? Um, uh, how much of the the percentage? Well, you say the frustration comes from not being understood. Well, to be understood, it's not a it's not a one man job, right? It's the person communicating and the person perceiving the communication, listening to the communication. So, 
you know, how, how much of the barrier is in who, whoever is receiving the communication, the bartender, for example, you know, would the bartender really be able to understand the communication coming from the redneck and from the, uh, the, the academic to the same degree? And so this is an interesting a secondary, question, yeah. a secondary question. Um, even if you have the vocabulary, let's say, or the education or the breadth of reading, you know, to, to have seen words in their particular context, does that make you able to understand your own feelings mm. and experiences enough to communicate them? Well, yeah. I think people hang around with like, not only like-minded people, but similarly articulate people for a reason. Um, I think that, and I'm, I'm speculating wildly here, that rednecks, <laughs> it's, such, it's such polarizing terms, but the rednecks um, sort of claim to understand one another and perhaps do because they have a similar walk in life, so they just go dang it, my wife, you know? And the other one goes, yeah, women. And it's not a particularly articulate thing, but given the sh probably common experiences, mm -hmm. they kind of nod in agreement. And maybe that's just enough. This, Even if it's a faux understanding, it's still a suggestion of, hey, brother, I'm on your side. And this is sort of where loyalty, a culture of honor, kind of gets folded in. Like, uh, we get it. We're in this, the trenches together. We're the downtrodden. And so it doesn't even matter if they actually understand one another, but the suggestion that they are understood is enough. And I think that, so there's that. And then I think the the culturally elite, the educated, pompous people, they have, uh, they have a shared collective body of ideas, uh, phrases, um, sophisticated jargon in the world and, and that they probably have both experienced. So when they say something like, oh, are you familiar with the superior wharf hypothesis? Yes, it's like, you know, and, and they, 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 these ideas have already been articulated, so they don't have to so, so they can uh, play with these abstract ideas and go further in at least intellectual understanding. I'm not saying that the... I would also say that they're not less any more or less lonely. My guess is the culturally elite don't feel any more connected and theoretically could feel less connected, right? They go and they have these intellectual exchanges and that might not feel as good as the other one just sort of, you know nodding at you from across the bar and going yeah i get it man you know like 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 they that actually might forge some sort of bond that you know the the faux understanding there might be more satisfying to the redneck potentially i'm not sure i'm comfortable calling it faux understanding uh i don't know that i'm on board with what you're with what you're presenting here totally. what i'm saying is well what i'm saying is like that they're they're it can be a, a, a singular line of expression, like been a rough day at work, and the other one goes, "Yeah, I got, I get you." Well, and like, and, and so, do you think that "Yeah, I get you" is a lie, or no? Or what? I think, I think there's just su such profound assumptions in that "I get you," uh, because you have not said anything about why it was a tough day at work. You don't know the intricacies. You didn't bother articulating all the nuance you've just made a blank the big grand statement of it's been rough and the other one says i understand what that means i know what roughness okay means. so let's and say the academic comes in and sits at the bar and says oh i'm experiencing systemic oppression 
And that's all he <laughs> says, right? And yeah. do you expect someone to understand that? I, that? That's why they would surround themselves with someone else who goes, yeah, the, you know, or said, I'm tired of this bureaucratic red tape in the, in the office. Like, so, and then someone else who has had a similar path, who understands bureaucratic red tape and says, mm-hmm. yeah, at my job. And they actually, so the, the, the intellectuals are more likely to get granular and start exploring quickly and sharing ideas, share, you know, like talk a lot more, frankly, use their words more often and more descriptive and more accurately. Um, and then you got the, the rednecks who are just sort of, I mean, of course this is all a wild, <laughs> but, but still you got the rednecks who just kind of go, man, and then, like, you know, almost this um, king of the hill, like, yep, they're standing around and they're just going, mm-hmm, and like, <laughs> you know, and, and there's just this shared camaraderie because there didn't... See, really- I, think, I think it's more than shared camaraderie. I think in all of these little cultural niches that you're presenting, a, there's much more to communication and, uh, and understanding than simply the words being vocalized. Um, I think that shared cultural space you know the you know that all of the rednecks have some you know have experienced issues with their women and uh you know the the tractors and whatever else they like they've all had problems in this way and so you sweet don't, tea without enough sugar in it you, you don't know? yeah you don't actually have to articulate exactly what's going on in order to be understood that understanding can actually be achieved because of the, the common background. And I think the same can be said for the academics. You don't have to actually articulate the whys and the hows and essentially verbalize uh, an academic paper in order to be understood. You can just say, oh, I'm being systemically oppressed today. And all the academics know what you're talking about. And they fill in the blanks and you're all on the same page. Now, you know that that's me pushing back against some of what you're presenting i i think and, and you know that i'm a i'm a big fan of words i enjoy words i use them sometimes uh you know i have ed- frequently <laughs> i have adventures in etymology so you know i have an appreciation for the language I, if i had to say if i had to try to articulate what the value of you know a detailed and specific language would be it's it's to communicate across those barriers right like and in writing in particular so if the academic is trying to talk to the redneck or or vice versa it's important that they have you know a common language and a detailed language that can try to capture you know the the depth of experience to to the best to the highest degree possible between them yes. or when you're writing something when you're putting something down on paper you don't know who your audience is and you don't know if you're going to share these cultural ties or and, and and of course writing across time now that's a whole other thing right like when we read things that were written in the 1800s or or Shakespeare or even older like it, it's harder for us to understand because you know we we don't share all of the same cultural or 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 temporal ties to the author so so i definitely see the value you know i see the value i'm not i'm not trying to say that oh no language isn't important because people can go "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm," (laughs) in the king of the hill fashion i'm not saying that but i do think a lot of communication is outside of the words extra wordular as uh, as they say, 
extra words you there. Uh, well, yeah, nonverbal communication is is you know people say like only thirty percent of communication are the words themselves or something like that. I'm pulling that out, but it was some smaller, way smaller percentage. You would think it'd be you know ninety five or something like that, but mm. it's actually lower, significantly lower than fifty, and right. that was that's surprising. But but also then things like culture you know the same words can land differently to different people and i really liked your framing yeah. of how like well words are an attempt to go cross-cultural obviously we have different languages but you can quote translate them yeah. um, and then like well where does that get messy and does that mess things up um and you know, I've been thinking a totally. lot about like if you've ever talked to someone who speaks English as a second language, you yeah. Even though even though their vocabulary may be somewhat broad, and they use words that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't expect an elementary schooler to to use. You know, you would expect an a higher educated person to use those words. There are other little things, little ways that they combine words and parts of speech that clue you in very quickly that they're not a native English speaker. And it's kind of fascinating. Actually, Those differences are kind of fascinating to me anyway. And then and then the question is like learning like what are those differences because it's clearly not like language doesn't just map as a perfect translation. There's different um, cultural expressions, idiomatic expressions, there's different uh, what I'm curious about is how it also affects memory. And this is a perfect segue, actually. Um, I just finished reading um, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. And I have a section of the book I want to read to you. And ultimately, it's a it's a, a, couple, a page or two. Um, but it's about uh, how our memory is impacted through language. Because we started off talking about how we have these in these these thoughts inside of us right that's how i start off we have these thoughts inside us and we put it into words but then like the question is how do the words actually shape our thought because it's a two-way street it's not just so they say way. and i'm so some well, people I, say isn't that the severe uh, yeah. wharf hypothesis that is the support it where it's the question of how to what extent do the words shape thought? Uh, my um, understanding I, is the severe wharf hypothesis is widely regarded as essentially bunk now it's not widely accepted anymore in cognitive science um, there are a few tales about, uh, like Eskimos have 50 different words for snow and that's not entirely accurate. So, so they were like stories people developed. Um, but the idea that words shape thought are, that's like pretty unequivocally, like that's not really debated. Words do shape thought, but to what, what extent mean? is the question. Um, well, this is a good example. I will give you, uh, I have two good examples, but they, they will like impact the way you catalog, like, like if, if something happens to you uh, and you want to retain it and put it into memory uh, mm -hmm. and you do that through the use of language, well, the way your culture's language is constructed might impact the memory. So when you go back and retrieve mm -hmm. it, it might be a little bit different. I have two great examples from two different sources, but this one's from uh, from Outliers. I'll read it to you now. Okay. <laughs> All right. I hope uh, I can understand. Take a look at... I think you will. Uh, <laughs> I practice reading it, but I'm also like scared to read out loud over the podcast. I've never done this before. So let's see how my uh, practicing did. All right. Take a look at the following list of numbers. Four, eight, five, three, nine, seven, six. Read them out loud. 
Now look away and spend 20 seconds memorizing that sequence before saying them out loud again. If you speak English, you have about a 50% chance of remembering that sequence perfectly. If you're Chinese, though, you're almost certain to get it right every time. Why is that? Because as human beings, we store digits in a memory loop that runs for about two seconds. We most easily memorize whatever we can say or read within that two-second span. And Chinese speakers get that list of numbers, 4, 8, 5, 3, 9, 7, 6, right almost every time. Because, unlike English, their language allows them to fit all those seven numbers into two seconds. Chinese number words are remarkably brief. Most of them can be uttered in less than one quarter of a second. For instance, four is C and seven qi or qi. Uh, their English equivalents for seven are longer. Pronouncing them takes about one third of a second. The memory gap between English and Chinese apparently is entirely due to this difference in length. In languages as diverse as Welsh, Arabic, Chinese, English, and Hebrew, there is a reproducible correlation between the time required to pronounce numbers in a given language and the memory span of its speakers. In this domain, the prize for efficacy goes to the Cantonese dialect of Chinese, whose brevity grants residents of Hong Kong a rocketing memory span of about 10 digits. It turns out that there is also a big difference in how number naming systems in Western and Asian languages are constructed. In English, we say 14, 16, 17, 18, and 19, and so one, ex uh, one might expect that we would also say 1 teen, 2 teen, 3 teen, and 5 teen, but we don't. We use a different form, 11, 12, 13, and 15. Similarly, we have 40 and 60, which sound like the words they are related to, 4 and 6. But we also say 50 and 30 and 20, which sort of sound like 5 and 3 and 2, but not really. And for that matter, for numbers above 20, we put the decade first and the unit number second, 21, 22. Whereas for the teens, we do it for the other way around, 14, 17, 18. The number system in English is highly irregular. Not so in China, Japan, and Korea. They have a logical counting system. 11 is 10, 1, 12 is 10, 2, 24 is 2, 10, 4, and so on. That difference means that Asian children learn to count much faster than American children. Four-year-old Chinese children can count on average to 40. American children at that age can only count to 15, and most don't reach 40 until they're five. By the age of five, in other words, American children are already a year behind their Asian counterparts in the most fundamental of math skills. Can I, so ask, the regularity... uh, can I interject yeah. a, a thought? <clears throat> yeah. uh, like, I wonder how much of that distinction is truly because of these verbal uh, and categorizational, they're not even really categorizational differences, but just slight verbal differences and how much is cultural. I mean... Yeah, there's a lot of talk in recent years about the achievement differences between Asian students and American students um, in the college system. And it, there's a clear distinction, right? and not even just college and high school as well. There's a clear difference in the average achievement of Asian students and, um, and all other students, essentially. Uh, right. And... Can we attribute all of that to the fact that 20 is called 20 instead of 210? No. Like, I don't think so anyway. Like, I find this very interesting and think, and I think it's, I think there's something to it. I just wonder if all of the discrepancy can be explained by, you know, counting 
um, instead of what are almost certainly significant cultural differences in uh, the value of education. And there certainly are. In fact, this chapter talks about uh, the value of education and the time spent. That's another component within mm-hmm. this very chapter, actually, is the amount of time and exposure. So um, we sort of grew up with American values of, of like, like it, it even talks about rice patties and how the more you cultivate rice, apparently, the more you spend time with it, the more it yields. And, the, and uh, because uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, land, you have to get really, really good at the land you do have to cultivate. Mm-hmm. So you're just constantly refining and the details actually matter. Whereas Americans, like you don't want to over cultivate land. We're not just doing rice patty stuff. We're doing all sorts of things. And if you over cultivate, then you... Uh, you know, you can ruin the crops and you don't have to get really good. Sp- you, you, you have land to spread out. So it's more about getting machinery mm-hmm. and spreading out. And so and the specifics, the details don't matter as much. So we actually have an analogous like uh, schooling system where we don't want to over-educate the kids. They'll burn out. We need lots of time off. And like the Japanese were like, no, like they, their proverbs, their colloquial expressions, their idiomatic expressions were like, Hey, 360 days a year of work, you know, like there's just, you can read their proverbs and stuff. It's like, wow. Uh, whereas we, we say things like you need to rest. And well, at least that's how it initially started. We're not too, it's, American culture isn't exactly chill or anything like that, but yeah. Another, just, another potential cultural differences, another potential cultural differences. If you cultural difference, if you wanted to try to think about trade-offs, for example, like, you know, whereas that, that what you presented might explain culturally the uh, the high importance placed on detail, attention to detail, and repetition. Um, you know, and and you tried to present perhaps uh, a reason why in Western culture, American in particular, that attention to detail might not be as highly prioritized. I think you could also try to try to draw a, a distinction between innovation and creativity. Like, you know, we. Our culture doesn't necessarily focus on attention to detail so much, but obviously we're highly known for independence, innovation, creativity, and Eastern cultures are, well, not exactly known <laughs> right, um, right. as much for that. Like to take the example of China in particular, like, and, and obviously there are a ton of things that factor into something like this, but they're not known for innovation at all. They're known for copying what Americans do by and large. Right. You know, like they, they, and and so I think that probably uh, a lot of, uh, you know, the, the truth is in the pudding, as they say, and a lot of what we observe is probably a reflection of those underlying cultural values, either in attention to detail and a value placed on community or an value a heavy value placed on independence, um, innovation and individuality, and both have pros and cons. I mean, I think you're totally right, but what what this the entirety of Outliers impressed upon me um, that I I would have assumed some small difference. Okay, big deal. Uh, American children are a year behind at four years old, right? Like in terms of basic fundamental math, and maybe that maybe you can directly attribute that to language. I figured that would level out very quickly, um, but the book makes a very convincing case that what 
you have early on in life kind of has outsized disproportionate uh, impact or not disproportionate just in the way we typically conceptualize we think it'd level out but it doesn't Mm -hmm. it makes some interesting cases some provocative cases that I didn't prepare to talk about all these little examples but uh, these hockey there's a competitive hockey league in uh, in Canada that's like ultra competitive and you can predict from a young age when they start sorting them out um, like a disproportionate amount are born, are born in January, February, and March, uh, and the the leading players uh, are mostly born in January, followed by February, and followed by March. And that's because that's the cutoff age is like January first. So your biggest players early on they get sifted and coaches they get better coaches, then they get more experience, and they play their games since they're like in the A league. They have mm-hmm. they play more games, and then it just they end up so pros so you can actually see this like pros tend to be born in january february and march and it really obviously being born in like december doesn't mean you're worse at hockey or you just think it would just all level out but it just sort of extends and uh and so that's sort of the case with if if math if we're like a little behind or maybe we're frustrated by it like i was going to read one more little paragraph but if the um the idea is that, uh, well, it doesn't really matter, but like, like, since the logic of, of Asian languages is embedded in the math, it just comes a little bit easier for like adding 22 plus 37. Mm-hmm. I have to go, I have to really do some uh, jumping through hoops in my head to decode that, whereas theirs is sort of embedded in the language. And so if they experience success and enjoy it more early on, uh, have a better attitude toward it, um, and do a little better, they might get sift, like shifted into or whatever placed into a program uh, that's better, and then that'll have. Yeah, I definitely, outsized. I definitely agree with that. Like, there's a snowball effect, you know, especially when it comes to um, attitude, and you know, in, any stumbling block can potentially. Uh, propagate through time right Mm -hmm. and so you know i don't dispute that i I also strongly believe that um you know your foundational years like essentially from when you're born uh you know in your childhood have a profound effect on where you end up like it's very important that you get everything you need and experience a wide range of things and you know get get all your exposure and everything early like that's very important um because otherwise it just takes more effort to overcome that. So I think you can overcome that if you're instilled with the proper values, then even if you do experience, um, you know, some, some slowness early, then you you can overcome that. And I think historically, you know, if Malcolm Gladwell were to run these experiments or try to collect these antidotes um, 150 or 200 years ago, then maybe you would see some leveling out. But I think our, our society and culture has degraded to the point where you know, we don't all hold those same, those same values of hard work anymore. And so people are less likely to catch up uh, if they're experiencing obstacles. That's my personal belief. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's some, I think there's probably a lot of truth to that actually. Um, but I want to give you one more example of, of language encoding, like affecting memory. This is a shorter example, if you mm-hmm. don't mind me reading it really quickly. No. So English speakers tend to phrase things in terms of people doing things, preferring transitive constructions like John broke the vase even for accidents. 
Speakers of Japanese or Spanish, in contrast, are less likely to mention the agent when describing an accidental event. In Spanish, one might say, Se rompió el florero, which translate. <laughs> that's my best. We should have got David. Trans- we should have got David to call in. <laughs> Just for that, like, have him come in. And you should have got him to record some Spanish and Japanese clips for me to, so I would really understand. But um, that would translate to the vase broke or yeah. the vase broke itself if it's by accident. Yeah. Um, so there were some studies uh, that, that found that such linguistic differences influence how people construe what happened and have consequence for eyewitness memory. Uh, in a study published in 2010, speakers of English, Spanish, and Japanese watch videos of two guys popping balloons, breaking eggs, and spilling drinks either intentionally or accidentally. Later, they gave them a surprise memory test, and for each event they had witnessed, they had to say which guy did it, uh, just like in a police lineup. Uh, another, another group of English, Spanish, and Japanese speakers described the same events. When they looked at the memory data, they found that the difference in eyewitness memory predicted by patterns in language. Speakers of all three languages described intentional events agentively, saying things such as, he popped the balloon, and all three groups remembered who did these intentional actions equally well. When it came to accidents, however, interesting differences emerged. Spanish and, and Japanese speakers were less likely to, dis- to describe the accidents agentively uh, than were English speakers, and they correspondingly remembered who did it less well than English speakers did. This was not because they had poorer memory overall. They remembered the agents of intentional events for which their language would naturally mention the agent just as well as English speakers did. That's interesting to me. So let me see if I understood understood that um english speakers remembered who who popped the balloon or broke the egg or spilled the drink even when it was accidental but the other language people did not because they don't characterize the subject um in in their language as often yeah the term yeah. was agentively which i had yeah. not come across and i actually I, looked it up it I, I, when i was it. when i was trying to learn japanese uh, before our trip to japan years ago now that that was one thing that i noticed very commonly the the subject is dropped and you just say you know whatever whatever happened if it was an accident or just that would happen more frequently so if very, the plant fell over very commonly you know, it, acc- then it knocked over the plant ac- accidental i don't, that's a, that doesn't ring any bells for me there were no rules about yeah. accidentally you can just very often drop the subject if it's obvious in context i guess again i only learned to the novice level so i can't gotcha. speak to the you know the actual rules we'd have to get a japanese fourth grader on to um <laughs> to tell us what the actual rules are uh-huh. but yeah but you can you can often great drop example the subject. though this is a great example of either whether it's culture or whatever for whatever reason this is what i don't know mm-hmm. uh is spanish and japanese decide it's an accident so we're not gonna be quite we're not gonna blame quite as much the person who did the thing accidentally like the window was broken yeah the important of, part the, the important part in the communication is that the window was broken right not who who accidentally broke the window necessarily you could imagine an alternate language an alien language or something maybe these aliens have eight ears and they're arranged in a circle all the way around their face right they're very they're they're sound based they do everything based on sound (laughs) and they communicate the what happened with like words about how intense the sound was so if someone accident if someone accidentally 
tore a Kleenex, I don't know, then, you know, <laughs> then their verb for it might be like so- something that reflects a soft, a soft Softly sound. Tore, but if some, yeah, But yeah. if someone broke a window then their word might convey, you know, that it was louder. And so you might expect yeah. these aliens to perhaps remember louder events more than quieter events, right? Because they have ears all around their face, so that makes sense, right? That's more important to them. Yeah, yeah. That's that's and like and that means because they would have the language let's say their memory for for mm-hmm. the purpose of mm-hmm. this discussion are the same as ours. They're not super they're not super intelligent or anything. And then if, since they would record the soft tear or the loud crash of the window, their, mm-hmm. their memory, when they recall, recall it, would, yeah, would do that. That's a key, it would evoke it's a key to their things. memory. Well, it's the same thing. Like here, Here's another thing I've thought of, and I'm sure linguists and other people who study this stuff um, as part of their career have thought of this much before. But you know, when it comes to rhymes, you know, jingles, um, mnemonic devices, uh, memory keys, you know, we all use those things in an English you know, we certainly have those um, as well. But in other languages, like Japanese, for example, they have a more phonetically flat language. Basically, more things rhyme. Same with Spanish, yeah. uh, because it's a gendered language. More things rhyme. They end in O or A, and therefore that you know, more things rhyme. So does that make jingles less special, right? Because more words can rhyme it's harder to have a jingle stick in your yeah. in your memory or a rhyme or a mnemonic device stick in your memory. Or um, is the language more musical and you remember things better, generally speaking? Could be. Like well, that's the other side of that coin, here, right? here, here, Yeah, the other side. Here's something in Japanese that I was thinking. Um, you know, there are a prescribed number of uh, phonemes. And, you know, again, this has been years since I learned the, the language, so I'm not going to be able to give... A very high level of detail here but there are you know like six or seven different first letters that could potentially be the start of a word in Japanese if we're talking phonetically whereas in English you know we have combinations of letters that make different phonemes th ch sh um, you know not instead as opposed yeah. to c t or or uh, s right right and so right. you can combine letters to get di- different different sounds so like when you remember something by the first letter or the first sound of a word, which I often do, a lot of times when I'm trying to remember something, I'm like, ah, it starts with a T. What was it? It was his name. Yeah, it starts yeah. with a T. Uh, T. It was a th- 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 something. Theodore. Ah, oh, that's it. Like that happens to me all the time. I remember stuff by the first letter or first sound. Well, How it, strange is that when you really think about it? <laughs> it's interesting anyway. It is strange. Well, in English, you know, if we have a, a larger number of those starting sounds – um, than, than in Japanese, which we do, then does that mean that I have a more granular memory when it comes to that sort of thing, right? Because well, the I can... Q is certainly more unique, right? The yeah. T is like is better information for you because it's more specific, I would think. You're, yes. you're limited in what you can rifle yes. through. that's exactly yeah. what I'm trying to express. Like I have a more granular, I have more options. So if I can remember the, the more granular option, you know, I'm remembering, oh, I have a one out of 35 chance of remember of getting closer to the word now whereas in japanese i have a one out of nine or whatever now of course none of this is to talk about the the different alphabets like in japanese you have essentially yeah. three different alphabets one for uh phonetically uh domestic words the hiragana one for imported words but they're still uh, written phonetically those are katakana and then you have the kanji which are chinese characters and those are the little pictures right the little 
uh, the very complicated yeah. pictures that convey an idea. And there's no. It sounds beautiful to me in theory that you have this express, like the the alphabet is in itself artistic, right? Like it's yeah, symbolic. I mean, it was fascinating because it's unique on Earth, essentially. Um, maybe there are some arcane examples, but it's the only still used pictographic language. Is Chinese. That's a thrilling idea anyway. Yeah, pictographic, that's the word. Right. Well, this ties in a little bit, at least tangentially, to um, the the project that I did, must have been a couple years ago now, in a cognitive science class where we kind of took that idea and ran with it, the idea of a pictographic language, because I I had the thought, well, huh, emoji have really come onto the scene, you know, a, a lot, and we're expanding the emoji library. There are hundreds, if not thousands, in your iPhone now. Are we turning into a a pictographic, a pictographic society, you know society yeah. where we're using uh, emoji to communicate? And we then did an experiment to see if people could understand sentences of varying um, densities of emoji. It was very it was fun. Um, I like that idea anyway because I think you're you're 100 right that we are introducing a more pictographs, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and that is becoming a more like more and more of the way we converse. And then how important is it to have nuance in those? And then like, and, and like, are the old people being like, I never got on board. I don't think you did either. Right. We, in fact, we kind of smugly look down upon it and go, Ugh, I mean, whatever. Uh, and so are we getting left out of some linguistic nuance to text? I mean, un- I mean have you heard undoubtedly, yeah, undoubtedly we I- are, there are like, yeah, maybe we can understand singular emoji you know when they're used like the, yes uh, even though i can't often like i don't know what that upside down smiley face means like when people use that i just ignore right. it i'm like i don't know what you're trying to convey with that <laughs> um or have you heard like punctuation like putting a period at the end of sentences comes across as aggressive and sarcastic yeah i've heard that before. you're discontent you can read articles on it. i actually printed one out for my for my students and and it's just we discussed how this is interesting to me because you know grammar like punctuating correctly now yeah. can mean something different in a different medium and, and express something unintended. So now we have miscommunication going on and it's bad. Right. Um, well, I'm it, also interested. Well, go ahead. I, I was just going to add on one, one thing like, yeah, maybe, maybe you and I can understand singular emoji, but, but their like compound eggplant equals penis. That, like, it, we it, we understand eggplant <laughs> equals penis, but what about eggplant plus little raindrops? You know? Okay. Yeah. Now, maybe yeah. maybe maybe you and I can put <laughs> that together. Yeah, and a peach, yeah. right? Maybe we can put that together. But there are others. There are lots of compound emoji words, now sentences, phrases. Uh, right. That, I certainly that don't, we don't know, know them. When I just see them, it's just noise to me. Or if it's like, oh, congratulations, and people put a bunch of, you know, the hats and the like. I get it if you, but like, I'm assuming they're just sort of spamming. Yeah, I don't like, even put read the cake them. with the candles and the. Yeah, no, I don't either. It's just noise to me and it's me too. like should i be more intellectually curious if there is some consistency uh i mean it's an evolving thing it's actually a neat thing to pay attention to but i want it to Here, be sent like right, right now i think we're like in an, an it's it, it's nonsense currently and yeah. then it might have more rules in the future Here, here's a thought um so if we if we send ourselves back into to- the ancient times when you know whoever whoever Confucius or Sun Tzu or whoever was creating the Chinese language, um, Mao Zedong, whoever created Chinese. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, 
when he was uh, creating these little pictographs, you have to imagine that these things emerged slowly and broadly and only it only caught on when a, a wide number of people kind of uh, collectively used them enough to where people could recognize them, right? In order for it to become right. uh, a reliable form of communication, a lot of people had to understand it. And you, you didn't have one gatekeeper, even though I started my joke as if there were gatekeepers, you didn't have one singular gatekeeper for the addition of a new kanji into the you know into the language but with emoji nowadays you kind of do have gatekeepers right you have apple who decides whether or not to include it in ios and you have google who decides whether or not to include it um in oh, android man. or you have yeah. you know microsoft or 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 the idea Linux of corporations sort of having an undue influence on evolving language and expression is but the, clearly they do. I mean, well, so like, yeah. what made me think of this is because like we, you know, I, I use Microsoft Teams for work all the time. That's what all our chats are, and they are continually updating it. Of course, without our consent, and you know, your computer restarts, and it's really obnoxious. But anyway, they add new emoji all the time and remove old emoji all the time. Interesting. And, and who's to say they could just remove your your method of communication if that was your favorite thing to express a particular idea? Yeah. You know. Well, <laughs> we we you know some some coworkers have laughed when these new emoji get added because you get things like bearded woman. That's one that was posted, and it looks like I thought it, when I saw it and I didn't hover over it to see what the actual verbal explanation of it was. I thought it was Jesus. It looked like Jesus. <laughs> And I was like, oh, wow, they made a Jesus emoji? That's a little... I wouldn't have expected that from Microsoft. And then, of course, I hovered over it and saw a bearded woman and was like, oh, I see. This makes more sense now. There's a political motivation to the the emoji they're allowing. Right. Well, so, so that hilarious example aside, it's just, it's an interesting distinction from how I imagine, you know, kanji developed, um, right? Although there may actually be some history... That I think I've well, heard. It was a more democratic process, almost certainly. But you're right. At some point, though, someone said, I'm going to make the official one yeah. currently. I'm going to publish the book on this. And then it was also down to, instead of a whole corporation, which has, you know, a bunch of people probably, uh, it's like one, like three people writing this book, mm-hmm. you know, or scroll or whatever. Right. Well, in Chinese, uh, I don't, my Chinese history is not good, but. Um, like, Papyrus. Yeah. Something with pirates. <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, uh, I th- they have like simplified Chinese and traditional Chinese and then Cantonese and Mandarin and they're different. I think at some point they did kind of have to go back and make an official simplified Chinese language or something. I don't know the details of that history. So maybe someone did at some point say, okay, here are the, here are the real ones. Um, and then you have these other ones kind of out on the fringe. Uh, so maybe there is a gatekeeper there. What this is a little bit of a different thought, but also how we, you know, obviously different languages we use different parts of our mouth, our tongue, and, and the tongue hits the different parts of our the roof of our mouth and the mouth guttural, noises, like mouth noises, and so, <laughs> um, and and clearly the example that comes to mind is the the L sound la, yeah, you know, it is is do do Asian cultures can they can they hear us say la and they can't quite do it or do they not hear it? And that's more interesting if mm. they can't, if they're hearing and if, if to them it sounds like they're, they're saying raw back to us and it sounds 
to them like they're saying what we're saying and we're going no 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 not raw la and they go ra and like and then you're just like wait are you not what what's I think happening? they can hear it i'm pr- pretty sure they can hear it but it's just that it's not it's not a sound used in their language and so they have no practice moving their mouth in that in that way it takes practice to be able to pronounce it the correct way and it's so effortless effortless for us yeah in the same way in japanese there's a a character called uh su tsu su and there's also a su by the way su there's su and tsu and they're different and so so it's like su versus tsu or something like that am i is that coming across on the mic (laughs) su and tsu yeah i mean you don't often say just that one character just like we don't pronounce la you know that often but like you have words like um natsuki which is i think summer if i remember the word right natsuki and it's three characters right na tsu ki and you know we can pronounce it nat we we see that word we go natsuki um (laughs) with a little bit of an accent added in natsuki but they don't say it like that in japanese they say natsuki and it's got a different pronunciation even my pronunciation is bad i'm sure but we don't have that we don't exactly have that same sort of sound so that's how i imagine it is between la and ra for example they don't have la although in japanese in particular since they have so many imported words from english i imagine a lot of you know there's a a lot of people can say l words in um in in japanese even if it's a little awkward i it's less interesting yeah, if, if they really can hear it. But what if, I mean, to what extent, if, if our muscles aren't trained, whether it's our tongue muscles or our ear muscles, you know, uh, what if it's just not, we're not intaking it correctly? I don't know. I that, mean, would be, that would be fascinating. That, that could be too. Like there are probably obscure African tribal languages, you know, that use like glottal stops and like guttural gluglugs and whatever other yeah, kinds of things yeah. there are and if we heard a sentence or or even a single word in that language our, our takeaway because we don't understand it might just be that's weird like i don't understand that it sounded like fnagtlog like that's what it sounds like in english but in reality there if we said that back to them they would they would laugh and they would say no 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 it's whatever with some other you know, with some other special mouth noises in there that we didn't even register because we don't yeah it's totally yeah we don't recognize them as things in the same way the aliens with the ears around their face you know if they tried to translate something in their language into english it might be really difficult because we have no concept of the volume of you know what they're trying to refer to the the, the tissue ripping or the the window breaking, they might have to add in additional English words that convey, um, you know, the, the intensity of what they're trying to communicate. So I really hope those aliens up? exist because I kind of like the I, idea. I like the idea of <laughs> ears all around. And it, that really got me thinking about how cultural values are or, or alien values, I suppose, are, are baked into the language that we have mm-hmm. because it's what we value and, you know, that's how the how we record things well yeah we obviously we obviously want to communicate what we value otherwise we wouldn't communicate it if it's not valuable and so yeah our values are inherently tied to what we communicate you you can take it in funny directions if there was a very judgy uh um you know culture that that 
valued looks you know that was a primary value and right. so you know there's a different one culture says the, the lamp was broken the other says ugly bennett broke the <laughs> lamp <laughs> and they go who broke it that ugly guy bennett oh yeah it was <laughs> like, someone <laughs> ugly i don't remember who it was but it was someone <laughs> ugly yeah i mean that's that's plausible again to go back to japanese you know they're a very uh, uh, they're a culture that uh, honors elders uh, and has different rules about politeness and so on. And so there are a lot of different honorifics in the language to refer to, you know, a respected elder, uh, a respected grandfather, a respected father, uh, a respected stranger. There are a lot of different ways to refer to people, parents, um, teachers, and so on. Whereas we don't we don't have as many distinctions because we. You know, we don't we don't consider that hierarchy as rigidly. Yes, and that actually that's another part of Outliers is there are plane crashes in like Korea had a lot of plane plane crashes for a while, and part of that was because the co-pilot uh, would not challenge. Bec- mm, you know, would, yeah. or would there's it was a very interesting chapter of how you spoke to different people and the only way you could challenge is you could make a mild suggestion and and that might not be picked up on depending um it's just it's a lot more polite so then even listening i read transcripts uh of the korean exchange among the pilot and the co-pilot and it would not read like like i guess someone tuned in and paying attention and knows korean culture would say wow this underling is really doing their best within the confines of the culture to suggest they need to do something Mm -hmm. but just can't quite bring himself and the plane freaking crash it's tragic knowing he's just like yeah we should really there there is ice on the wings you know like (laughs) someone we should maybe you know maybe perhaps consider checking that out whereas uh i think we have uh i guess grant we have less strict hierarchies and we're encouraged so so american pilots are like the safest in the world not because we're and it gets into this it's because not we're like, jerks to each other because we yeah, don't respect yes. our bosses <laughs> yes yes i mean is one way of saying it it's not that we're more well, talented we're, like, or again, that, like all that's, of this either that's that the that's the distinction that's the cultural distinction right that i mentioned earlier about being more community focused or more individual focused and yeah we're we're more individual focused so we don't have as much problem pointing out the flaw of a superior because and you know we're not as well, concerned you want to know something interesting then the korean air that would like lost some status i need i don't have all the stats in front of me like they were like in like people were american like, like people were starting to like criticize them heavily they had a bunch of planes go down and all of this mm. and it and um so the solution actually was to adopt english language mm. and uh and some protocol that says this is you're, you're kind of forced to do this but just by a, a like saying you've got to speak English in in the cockpit and like communicate this way, it it bypassed some of the culture that was baked into the language. And I thought that was like, wow, this is super interesting. That is really interesting. Do you think that, do you think that there's been an idea pushed, you know, as we, as we become more of a uniform global society for, for better or worse, there's a push to make a, uh, uh, a global language really you know to use english for example as the global language and you know there's also a kind of uh, related push in individual countries for people to be bilingual trilingual or multilingual in some way it's more common in europe than it is in the u.s do you think it's a good thing it's a better thing for citizens of a country or citizens of the world if you want to use that phrase um 
to stick to one language and be very proficient in it or to be multilingual? Which do you think is better? I mean, I only speak one language and I regret it uh, because I think learning a different language is not just like we, we started off the conversation saying it's not just you've learned a bunch of synonyms and they happen to be Spanish words, you know, and now I know how Spanish works. It's like I assume I would learn the idiomatic expressions. I would start to understand some things. I probably wouldn't even understand I'm learning some expressions until later on in mastering the language and going, oh, now I see why they tell time in a little bit different way or, or their language, their, their number system is a little more logical or whatever. Um, so I think it would expand my mind. So on the individual level, I think it expands your mind because to learn different languages is to peek into different cultures in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. So, so you get to understand more of humanity the more languages you acquiesce. Um, but but uh, in theory, us all speaking the same language is... Uh, I mean, it sounds like ends of days type rhetoric, like where we all like try to build a tower of Babel to the heavens, and we all mm-hmm. like 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 come together. Like, I don't know. There's something eerie from a literary perspective, not necessarily a logical one, because I think logically it's like, well, oh, it would cut down on a lot of uh, miscommunication, and we could all focus on refining one language. But if language is imperfect, if that's our hypothesis, yeah. which I think I agree, with, language is imperfect. I like the idea of there being multiple languages because yeah. that means they're gonna You're covering they're your gonna bases. emphasize different yeah they're emphasizing different elements and then we learn that's a baseball like, analogy by the way yeah covering all the bases or know. or military <laughs> I don't know which one actually I don't know what do you cover bases I guess like. Oh, if you're if you're defensively making sure you're like paying attention to the runners, so you're making yeah, sure you of course. cover them all. Yeah, stupid. I didn't. Well, at first I was just like, do you put like <laughs> obviously you know, it's starting to rain? Rap. It's hurry up, everyone cover all the bases. It's raining, <laughs> and then you go and get a tarp and you yeah. cover them. Um, but I I just think that that is I think it would be foolhardy to try and say everyone speak English mm-hmm. or everyone speak. Yeah, I tend oh, some new language. Yeah, I tend to. That? <laughs> yeah, right. I pig Latin. Um, yeah, yeah. I tend to. Uh, I tend to agree with you in that respect. Like, I don't. I think a, a one world language is a pretty bad idea. Um, and I also agree that on an individual level, it's fun and even useful to learn other languages. Like, not only does it stretch your mind, give you a little bit greater context, you know, allow you to potentially communicate even badly with people who speak other languages um, and maybe clue you in to some other, uh, like you say, colloquialisms and idioms and that sort of and thing. Cultural, cultural insights even, yeah. That, so all of that is positive. What do you, but what do you think about, um, like for example, some states and jurisdictions in the United States have two official languages, English and Spanish. Um, do you think it's important that People, for example, who immigrate to the U.S. learn English, or for example, if you were to move to Germany or Japan, should it be incumbent on you to learn the the language there or not? I think it should be. I think at some point you're going to say, "Hey, I'm moving to a place, and this place has a culture." And we've talked about the inextricable nature of language and culture, and I think you just have to say, "Yeah, if we have." Yeah. If you I understand any... also if you have a if you have a lot of Hispanic people, then you're you might as a business make make the decision to print out like 
in Spanish and in English for practical reasons. I totally like no whatever, mm -hmm. but but um, culturally, like we just need to say. I think it's just common sense to say to have an official language and that just be like and to say, hey, we're gonna like. I can understand, like, we're going to welcome those, since we understand a lot of our population speaks Spanish, let's let's make this amenable to them while encouraging them to speak English, you right. know? You, I think you can invite people, like, like if I moved to Germany and I said, this is me, this is where I'm going to live the rest of my life, but I'm not going to learn German, <laughs> it would be a little like, wait, what? what, what? <laughs> right. Why are you moving there? What's the point? If I'm going to live there for a year, that's a different story. Right. Like, I'm not going to learn German. I might pick up on some German. I'm going to be curious about German, but... Uh, I'm not going to invest the same amount of effort, um, but I couldn't go in there and insist them that they all speak English or something like that would be arrogant. I think. Right. Is what I was right. Saying. Right. Right. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. No. I. I. I agree. It. It just gets. Um, it gets complicated, I guess, because well, it gets into a whole other topic about immigration. Like, you know, if you have a whole lot of people moving somewhere, it, 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 there's a balance between. Uh, assimilation and like cultural assimilation and I guess what what your policy is right so you could you could criticize some of the southern southwestern US states you know for making Spanish p part of their official language or you know all the businesses for putting it on their signs and everything you could criticize them and say you know what are you what are you doing like you know English is our official language and if you immigrate here you should learn English. Although that's not necessarily practical because, you know, a significant portion of their uh, customers might not speak English. They haven't yet assimilated. And so, you know, it doesn't make business sense for them to to restrict their signage into only, only being English. And then you have to ask the question from the higher up, more abstract level. Okay, well, if people aren't assimilating, does that mean we have too much immigration? Are too many people like our assimilation rate is too low, right? Yes. Like especially this is particularly notable for America because you know we are, you know, as people like to say, a nation of immigrants, uh, and so we've had immigration throughout our entire history, and you know, you and I both, our ancestors, uh, came from elsewhere, and at some point, uh, immigrated to the U.S. and adopted the American culture even if uh, we might have English-speaking ancestors anyway. Um, but the assimilation rate was such that no matter who moved to the United States, they basically uh, assimilated and onboarded American culture and language. But you know, in recent decades, the assimilation rate seems to have gone down, and I guess the, the immigration rate has gone up, and those things probably have some correlation. Or some causation, I should say. Yeah, and I would, I mean, we we should have a healthy dis like discussion around what does it mean to assimilate. What do we expect, and what should your goals be if you if you want to move here to stay here, mm -hmm. and what are our values? And like, I guess that's what political discourse is in general. But um, if our values, if 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 we have American values, then we have American language. <laughs> we have yeah, e English, I speak American. You know? Don't you? <laughs> You're an American teacher, for goodness sake. And so, yeah, are we okay just saying, like, you know, it, we speak English. Like, this is our language. Now we acknowledge this particular town on the border, or we acknowledge in order to function. Well, but, like, if you started, 
it's like, is there a line to draw? Like, okay, fine. We'll make sure the pharmacy has clear labels and other things. Um, but we're not, you well, know, and see, if that's... the business wants to print a menu in a different language, like, yeah. fine. But like, but like, like it, it, if, if you start putting up big billboards or your signage is in a different language, like, well, should we regulate against that or should we just well, that's the, the question, decide? right? That's the question. Yeah. And because assimilation is important, like it is an important issue to think about for the future of the country. And at some point, at some point you do have to say, wait, we can't, you know, if, if you move here, you should learn English. You know, I would expect if I moved to Japan, not speaking Japanese or being able to read Japanese, I would have a hard time. And I wouldn't like go into the DMV or the Japanese equivalent of the DMV and expect to be able to just do everything in English, right? I wouldn't expect that. I would, I would feel like, oh yeah, I don't know Japanese. I'm sorry. I guess I'll come back later when I do. And I would expect to face barriers. And that seems appropriate to me to, to feel that way, to feel on the outs yeah. a little bit until you can speak the language. And what's interesting, I think modern tech might slow down the incentives to learn. Exactly. So you get there yes. and you can translate can, it quickly or hold up an app or something. Or go, oh, where I my, really need to learn Japanese. Where my Apple, whatever the new Apple AR yeah, yeah. $5,000 doohickey <laughs> is. And it just translates. 3500 a cool 35 <laughs> It just translates all of the language in front of me, you know, so I can read it. Basically getting into Star Trek um, yeah, And then I talk territory. and it just puts... Well, AI will actually, if you put in enough stuff, it can Im imitate your voice. So yeah. then not only can I have it spit it out in Japanese, I, it would be my voice speaking in yeah, Japanese. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> really, so why learn another language ever? <laughs> why well, assimilate so, a culture ever? Well, because you live there well, and you want to be part of the culture. That's the idea is that people moving to a place should want to live in yes. that place for a reason. Yeah, and that's, that's true. because, And it's not because the soil is a particularly <laughs> it, cool feel to it. a latitude and longitude. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, weather is one reason, but like, eh, come on, you really, um, you know, so it should be because, hey, I enjoy what you got going on here. Yeah. Like if I moved to Japan, it would be because I liked the orderliness, right. I liked the politeness, I liked, uh, and, and holistically, KFC. In. So, yeah, delicious KFC. I love uh, KFC in Japan. I don't know what it stands for. It must stand for like Kips, Kanto, Kips. Kanto fried chicken or <laughs> some some Japanese word, I'm sure. It's more popular outside of the states. Kawaii, Kawaii fried chicken. That must be it. <laughs> um, I I don't want to uh, kick us off on a whole other topic, but I just have a thought. Maybe we can close um, close yeah, with this thought. Yeah. So you were talking about why learn another language? If AI can translate the words for us that we see visually, and we can speak, and it will translate our voice vocally into the other language. What about these nooks and crannies? about the idea, you know, how we represent the thoughts and language, all the stuff we started the conversation talking about, the, the difference between the redneck's vocabulary and how that yeah, matches yeah. to his inter nuance. internal feelings, yeah. Yeah, nuance, and the academic. And, you know, then when you go cross-culturally, it gets even more complicated because you have your Japanese rednecks and your Japanese academics. And, you know, all you have the different subcultures within other languages. Will the AI... Well, obviously not initially. It wouldn't be able to represent that stuff. Will it get to the point where it can even represent that nuance? Will we get to the point where you can, where the Apple, the Apple thing will have some electrodes on your temples, and it can read, you know, your, 
your uh, your brain waves, your beta waves and alpha waves and all that stuff and know what you're feeling. It'll know the attitude with which you're which oh with which gosh. you're generating the words that you're speaking and then it'll do that translation into the I, language for you. I think it could because I think you can say you can say to ChatGPT right now, like take whatever piece of writing and say, but make it silly and playful with some jokes thrown in. And it will. So I think I could imagine you go to Japan, you see a cute girl, and instead of like, you say, ask her her name. But, but do it, it funny. flirtily. Do it. <laughs> yeah, do, do it in a flirty fashion and make it funny. Way. And then it just goes, and it takes your voice and it says, you're not even sure what it says. <laughs> Yeah, but right. You know, but you trust that it's communicating in a flirty way. Well, that's the and thing. So- <laughs> think about this. Th- th- it's reading your brainwaves. You're not instructing it to be flirty, but you're thinking. Oh, it just knows you want to be flirty. You're thinking a, the thoughts in a flirty it's way. It's a little blood going to your yeah. penis. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You're attracted to this person, so I'm going to do. And I know I happen to know this person too. That they like silliness, so I'm going to make this silly, even though you didn't tell it to be silly. Or it, it likes. Right. Well, or this girl likes. It, it, you know. Well, uh, intellectualism. So I'm going to make beef up the language. A well, yeah. I, I imagine academic. you know. Imagine you're doing your study abroad program. And you're waiting tables at a restaurant to, you know, to make extra money while you're doing your study abroad program. And a really fat, smelly person comes in and sits at your table, and you know you're a little disgusted um, at at that. <laughs> but they speak another language, and you go greet them, and you say, you know, welcome to, you know, our restaurant, sir. You know, what would you like to drink? But the AI interprets your disgust and you know disappointment and everything, and it communicates that to them in whatever language. Like it, I don't know. I this is totally ridiculous yeah, to, yeah. to speculate on, but I just find that really a really interesting thought and hilarious idea, and I guess a pitfall that we'll experience uh, if, if if this comes to be. <laughs> oh man, what was yeah. the uh, what was the word that I used for um, for describing nonverbal communication? Extra. Extra, extra word, extra word, uh, extra wordle. That's what it was, right? Extra, extra wordle word. communication. <laughs> that's gonna be the title yeah. for this. That's uh, a good one. Podcast. Okay. Uh, goodbye. We're done. Sayonara. Bye. Over. Uh.